Hey Rob, how's it going? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I think. You think? Yeah. Uh, what's what's uh, what's going on? What's uh, what's causing you a momentary lapse in confidence? I don't know. I'm just mm. not feeling it today. Well, we're gonna get through that, I think. Yeah, we're gonna have to. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I am very solidly in my new house. Oh yeah, dude. Congrats. Um, I'm still moving a few items in. So this weekend, I'm going back to my old house to grab. Uh, what I would say are probably like the dumber items of gear I own. So I have like three chord organs to grab, mm -hmm. uh, a bunch of instruments I've made, which I don't think are dumb, but I also don't play them all that often, but I built them. So I feel a need to, I don't know. Treat yeah. Them that like makes my sense. Children. For and the eventual then, Rob Funkhauser instrument museum. Exactly. Um, and then, uh, I, uh, have i mean I, you know i've been in my house for about nine days now um yeah. living alone is tight um, you like it i do you've I, never lived alone never lived alone so what have you been doing so i mean so i've been working i've worked from home so uh, this last week so it's, it's kind of interesting so basically i um I moved to my new house and, and had a weekend to like move all the essentials. Uh, got to see my parents. Um, they came down and helped me move some stuff. And then uh, basically the next week I spent writing uh, an NEH grant for the museum. Right on. So, um, so I wrote a grant that, that will determine whether or not I have a job after June. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, so it was basically like, uh, very quickly went from like leisurely moving to like, okay, I'm in this house and I have to get the shit done. Like I like, so, you know, it's a pretty major grant. Uh, it's a relief grant. So thankfully it's not as, um, intensive as a lot of federal grants go. Sure. Uh, but it's still a federal, you know I mean? Like it's still a fucking federal grant. So, um, so it, it did take a lot of like bandwidth and, you know, to the point by the time, like by the sixth time I've read, I read the application, I was just like sick to my stomach, you know, like sure. not sick to my stomach, <laughs> but like, just like tired of reading my, my same bullshit over and over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, I also know it's like one of the few documents was like, there is not a misplaced comma in this whole thing. Um, is it, is it like, what's something else is it like essay questions and shit where they kind of like tell you exactly what you need to do to like not this right one answers, this one or... so so i mean yes and no it's a little like open-ended mm -hmm. this one so so a lot so to give you a little background I, I don't know how much you know about federal grants probably um, not as much as you since you just filled one out sure <laughs> um so a lot of times federal arts funding arts and humanities funding uh, will have like really strict regulations on what things can be used for so for mm -hmm. example like a grant could come out and it would be like, this is a project grant. So when you submit your budget, like 70% of the budget has to be for the supplies needed for the project. 20% can be for like salary assistance and 10% can be indirect costs, which is like keeping the lights on. Right. Um, and so with this grant, they were very much like, it's a relief grant. So they're like, if you have projects to keep your employees employed, we want to fund them. So right on. It, uh, uh, there's no cost sharing. So, Oh, the other thing would be like a cost sharing requirement. So for a lot of project grants in a little more normal times, they would be like, we'll only fund like 50% of any project based on like the, the organization itself has to be invested. Sure. Sure. So, so like in this case, they're like no cost share requirement, which is, which is on, which is basically like doesn't exist in normal time federal grants. And then also like pretty much all of like up to like 90% of the funds can be used to fund salaries. So they're, they're basically like the whole point of the grant is just to keep museum people employed during this shutdown. It's because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a COVID relief grant from the NEA. Gotcha. Yeah. So as far as it goes, pretty like, you know, as far as we've all we've been doing at the museum, um, 
which I guess for the listeners, I don't know. Like, if you don't know me, I run a percussion museum. Uh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so as far as, you know, what Elizabeth, Elizabeth Quay is the museum manager, and she and I are, have basically been working side by side running the museum for about four years now. Um, and, uh, and so. Does the it, government understand how perfect this job is for you? They do not. Um, is that what you're trying to make them do? With the, I feel like if they knew, they would just pay you out of pocket. Like it could be taxpayer yeah, dollars. Yeah, they, they would just be like, clearly, yes. Um, no, but they do. Well, the, the thing is that we, we did. Uh, so Elizabeth and I have been working over the last few years to sort of in like move the Rhythm Discovery Center from like this very folksy museum run by an organization to like a professionally accredited museum. And we've gotten there. So last year we got three like major grants and a couple smaller grants that are high profile. Um, and so we're now on the radar and we've been putting more bandwidth into like the actual legitimate museum operations. And mm-hmm. so we've set ourselves up to sort of actually kind of say this, like that this grant would be perfect for us because like, because we're an interactive museum run by like an arts organization that pre-exists to the museum, the, the actual like investment in industry standards has been fairly recent. And we have all these projects set up and all this training that we've recently received that actually like three to six months without visitors will, will put us ahead on all these archival projects. Right. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. So we actually, in terms of, in terms of the trajectory, like we, it, it is sort of like explaining that like this grant would be perfect for us and we're perfect for this job. Um, Do you guys qualify for these like PPP grants and all that? Yeah. Shit? So we, so we got a PPP loan. Our organization did. And, but that goes, that ends at the end of June. So that's how right. long those things go. Oh, that's why this determines whether you have a job at the end of June or not. Right. Uh, it's all so, coming together. So, yeah. So we applied for salaries from, july to december which is what you're allowed to do mm-hmm. um and we have a couple of projects that we've started that um are really good i mean like long like the 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 exciting thing about it is that like if we get this grant the museum timeline will be fast forwarded by like five years um oh that's dope yeah because you'll just be able to bust through all your like back catalog of projects e- exactly because the organization historically is like a really good organization, but they have not had the money or like expertise to run an industry standard museum um, as such. So the fact that we've been transitioning to this for the last couple of years actually works out really well. And we're also like, yeah, it gives us the opportunity to get a few monkeys off our back from the fact that the, the museum and the collection were, were run by people who were not museum people. Right. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it, in a certain respect, it does, like, it could make the next few years of working there a lot easier um, because we won't have this huge backlog of tasks to take care of. Right. Um, but, uh, so, yeah, in, in a certain Yeah, because when I was there, the that, like, back room with all the... I, what would you call those archives of stuff or yeah yeah that there was more stuff back there than there was out on the floor right exactly and Which a lot of probably pretty typical of museums but it was like it stuff that could be out like mm-hmm. i don't know yeah and some of that stuff, some of that stuff rotates out but and, and and having more in storage than on display is pretty typical but like the main difference being that like um, the museum was not was not started by museum experts. It was started mm-hmm. by percussion people, and so the you know certain things that that happen in larger museums as a as a matter of course did not happen at the beginning of this museum. Like for example, our digital inventory uh, did not have shelf locations uh, when I started at the museum. Okay, and you know we've got like a. I think five to 7,000 object collection. And now like 89% of it has locations. If that put make, you know, if that puts things in. Yeah, yeah. So like nice. a lot of my job has been catching up for things that weren't done at the start. Um, and so this gives us a, this gives us an opportunity to really like 
finish up certain aspects of that and then also like um get a jump on certain projects to make some of our holdings uh public facing digitally so we've right. got we've got archival projects and things that have been fairly slowly developing the the grant we wrote to basically just accelerate those and be like well we can actually do this now because we have all this time because we're not going to mm-hmm. be open you know i don't have to i don't have to deal with kids to a certain right extent. right um which i do miss giving tours to kids but like yeah uh but there is something and like constantly re- repairing interactive exactly yeah. Like yeah yeah there, there is something like very very appealing about like having the rest of my year potentially just be a very intellectual yeah job. i mean last time i was there you were fixing a light over a bathroom <laughs> <laughs> forgot about that actually yeah <laughs> yeah so that's the kind of shit that you're not doing right now. right exactly <laughs> exactly i mean today i was doing today i was doing kind of a fun project I, uh so um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you at all, but I did. Uh, I I wrote a grant last year. Um, so last year, last year um, was kind of spectacular for us as a museum because we we landed uh, I think four high profile grants, two of which were large money, and two of which were just high profile but low money. Uh, right. But that's how some granting organizations work. So we landed a grant from the Clues Foundation, which is a local foundation. Uh, which was a big shit grant. Like it was like big 50 grand. Um, Mm -hmm. And then that was all museum stuff. And then uh, I wrote a budget for a Lilly foundation grant, which we also got, which is another local organization um, run by the Eli Lilly company, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. And then um, we got another, we got an IMLS grant, um, which is the, Institute for Museum and Library Services, which is a, again, it wasn't a large monetary grant, but it's one of those, it's like a tiered system. Like once you get in the system, if you deliver well on a smaller grant, then you're eligible for larger grants in the future. And IMLS is also one of the ones that, that runs one of the more robust accreditation processes. It's or, a cloud or, grant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, and then I got another, and then I got one that I wrote for from the Grammy Foundation for a record collection that we had. Oh, nice. So you won a Grammy, basically. Yeah, I did. <laughs> but uh, You should just start calling yourself a Grammy Award winner. Because you were awarded a, a Grammy. <laughs> it's not the one they're thinking of. I think I may do that, actually, just for yeah, fun. Yeah, Grammy um, Award winning artist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so so I'm on the I'm currently writing the grant report for that. So we're at the end of the cycle, and uh, and so basically we had this like we had when we acquired it in the '90s, it was um, the largest privately owned collection of early xylophone and marimba recordings in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward 20 years to where we are now. Um, a lot of 78s have been digitized already uh, based on this. Like, so there's this project called the great 78 project, which if you haven't seen, it's pretty fascinating. Um, and that's all hosted on archive.org. Um, okay. so, so at this point, uh, th- so 78 recordings in the nineties, nobody really knew it was out there. I mean, like people knew it was out there, but, and earlier, like people had a, interesting idea of what was or a pretty good idea of us out there but they but like record companies in the very early days it was so fast and loose just like any emerging market that like mm-hmm. there were so many titles and things released under multiple labels and all this stuff that like it was a really weird scene um so at this point a lot of people like they have a really good idea of what exists or what should exist Right. Um, from that, because it is a finite body of, of recordings. Um, and so uh, historians and, and experts have done a really good job of, of basically collecting catalogs from various manufacturers, collecting like, you know, uh, even if it wasn't as official as catalogs, like manufacturing records, that kind of thing. Um, so at this point, I guess that's probably a lot easier to trace from older stuff just cause there was like a finite number of studios and stuff. Exactly. Yeah, it is now, now that, now that, now that historians have gathered all the data. 
Yeah, um, but like imagine now trying to like collect all music. Oh, it'd be impossible. Like, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's like I mean, it's you know, it, I think it puts it in perspective that it took till I think I was talking to the expert uh, Patrick, who I who we hired as part of this grant, and he was. I mean, I think it's from what he was saying. It's. I mean, I could definitely tell he had a different sense of time than what I did, mm-hmm. but like. Uh, but it seems like it's been a fairly recent thing that 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 there has been a collective understanding of what was manufactured back then. Yeah. Um. That like all of the like random resources had finally been compiled in a way that feels, if not entirely complete, like as complete as it's gonna get because anything mm-hmm. else is probably like one paper record that was burned, you know. Sure. Sure. And the records, the records themselves, like the actual recordings, are so obscure that like nobody like you know they're gonna piece it together as they can but but it's not like anything they can handle you know it's not anything they can figure out otherwise um but uh so i have this like so i had this collection that when the organization acquired it was the largest collection of early marimba and xylophone recordings in 2004 they digitized what time period are we talking here for when you say early we're talking 1895 to 1920 okay uh actually and what not, kind of music were they be, playing on marimba's there, there might just... be i'd be up to the 30s actually now that i okay. think about it um mostly so, classical stuff then or a lot of ragtime uh okay. and then a lot of ragtime and a lot of like uh ethnic music um, that slider marimba yeah <laughs> <laughs> right uh shitload i mean like i mean ragtime xylophone was a whole thing uh we could get into that but um mm-hmm. But a lot of ragtime, a lot of uh, a lot of like marimba band stuff. So, and I, I don't. This is something I realize is a gap in my knowledge. Actually, recently, um, so Guatemala has had marimba bands for you know over a hundred years. Okay. Um, where you know it'll be like two or three marimbas, and one of them will usually be like six octaves. So like the the, oh, the bars a will big boy. yeah big boy, <laughs> and the bars will start very wide. You'll have like three or four people playing it, and like uh-huh. the bars will start very wide at the base, obviously, and then and towards the top it gets very narrow. So you got these guys sure. standing next to each other. One guy has these big boy mallets playing like an octave, uh-huh. and this other guy has like two octaves. And he's playing with these tiny mallets. It's fucking hysterical. I like but, that. No, it's great. No, it's actually. Really I like cool. the idea of like sharing an instrument is very communal like it's yeah making music with people already feels like such a like an empathetic thing to actually share an instrument right no it's really it's really cool it's really fascinating uh but um so that but that was one of the earliest marimba traditions uh as okay. far as western music goes like i and i can't this is what i want to know like this is a gap in my knowledge but so the marimbas in guatemala are very closely related to um to uh marimba type instruments from africa um and share a lot of similar like physical traits but they were one of the first ones to like like um start doing the westernized like keyboard like arrangement oh okay so so guatemala had chromatic instruments at least 110 years ago Hmm. um and and I don't I don't know the force like I don't know the colonial forces like I don't know all the influences. And were that, they that, that playing did that. like ragtime style music? Or no, they were playing Latin their own. They're playing their own stuff. Um, okay. But it led to a genre. It, I guess is where this comes. So like <coughs> marimbas and things um, were being brought into the U.S. Uh, they were being manufactured in the U.S. So there's a factory in Chicago called the Deegan Factory. That was probably the largest marimba manufacturer from like the 20s to the 70s, um, and but through all and then Leedy is a factory in Indianapolis. Actually, a lot of a lot of mallet instrument manufacturing in the U.S. happened in the Midwest, like within oh. an hour of where I live. So interesting. Yeah, so Chicago, Indianapolis had Leedy, uh, which is a drum company that also made marimbas and xylophones. In uh, and then a little later, there was. Um, Uh, I can't not. I'm not gonna think of the name of this company. It was in it was in DeKalb, Illinois. Okay. But um, but so like 
marimbas, like novelty instruments, were was a market, was a viable market in the early 20th century. Yeah. Where can I just say it was so weird for me growing up in the Midwest when we grew up um, after all the manufacturing had basically left and shit. Yeah, knowing knowing that like. Oh yeah, everything in the world was made here before. This was like the capital of the right? world for making shit. Yeah, and we're just living in, living like in the ruins of it. Yeah, because I mean, we always got told about how like Louis Armstrong came to the town we grew up in to record jazz music because that was the best studio yeah. and the record manufacturing was right there. And it's like nobody would ever come there now. Right. Like remember when Nelly went to <laughs> Nelly stopped at Meyer to get groceries yeah. on his tour like in between indianapolis and cincinnati i forgot about that and that was a big deal like all the kids i don't know how that came out it must have been myspace yeah where they said they were going to stop here and do some autograph signings and stuff on the way yeah and it was like a big deal like everybody went out there yeah i remember that and it's like so that's where we're at now this uh rapper stops to get yeah gas and groceries and uh for the tour bus yeah, I mean and that's a big deal, but it used to be fucking Louis Armstrong coming up for recording sessions. Well, okay, so <laughs> so there there are two. Th- th- so this brings up very like two very different strains of thought for me. So, mm-hmm. so the one thing that you should know about Jeanette uh, Records, um, if you don't already, is that. Uh- I figure there's some lore around it for like creating a false sense of local pride. So let me preface all of this. No, 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 like, no, you're good. Yeah. No, I, I actually, I'm, I'm not actually like, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to dig. Like, I'm not trying to like undercut the, the myth. Of, I mean, the fact that Louis Armstrong was able to record it is what it is, but yeah. it is sort of like, so it's progressive. It was progressive in a sense, but it was progressive for reasons that like are more progressive than maybe you want. Like, so, uh-huh. so, uh, so the point, like the main, the main thrust being that like, Jeanette Records uh, allowed black musicians in before RCA Studios in Chicago. Oh. But it was simply because they were smart enough, the guys, whoever was running Jeanette at that time, like they were smart enough to know that uh, anybody's money is good anywhere. Right. So, so like um, the, the problem, the reason that Louis Armstrong not that not that I want to disparage Richmond. Like Richmond was, there's a whole other history of Richmond that we can get into. Like Richmond was not like a bad place to be at the time, mm-hmm. but it but it was like, um, it was one of the few places that would like take anyone's money. Sure. Um, and so Jeanette Records, and like, by anyone in this case, we mean Louis Armstrong, Jelly Roll Morton, right, uh, right, no, just like yeah, exactly, all the big names oh, at the time. absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I'm not. <laughs> Like I am, I'm sort of also like laughing about this a bit because they also recorded Klan records. Like they also recorded like Ku Klux Klan promotional yeah, records. Yeah, that would like, make sense in Central Indiana and ex- exactly in the twenties and thirties. Yeah, so it's like yeah. it's like one of those places that was sort of like like Richmond was for a long time a fairly progressive city just because they had people at the helm that understood money. Yeah, I guess like, they're just Yeah, they were just like, you got money, you can spend it here. You know what I mean? Like it was one of those things where it's like sure. <laughs> unpretentious like whereas like for some reason, you know, uh and, and the history books are split. Like if you read a lot of jazz history books, like about forty to fifty percent of them still say that Louis Armstrong recorded first in Chicago. And they're fucking wrong. I mean they're factually mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah. Uh but they also just don't want to admit like yeah, I mean, RCA was racist for a while. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Um, and also, I mean, like, so was most of the country. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not I'm not disparaging, but it's also just like there's something, there's something like really funny, like where, a, like, there's a through line there where it's like, like, <laughs> you want to, I want to see, I wanted to at first. There was a while where I saw old Richmond as like somehow more progressive than it was now but it was actually it was actually just like oh no they were just smart enough to like take anyone's money they were just like blindly capitalistic yeah totally <laughs> but, like, yeah. but it's not that they the had better time. ethics it's that they had no ethics it was like right. we just yeah, yeah. In money yeah in some and sense, that happened to lead them down a path that was good yeah but like yeah and but also like you know during that time like you know we hadn't run the course of the experiment like it was it was still like 
capitalism was the best way to like deal like to like get like that was their best vision to getting to an egalitarian society so in sure. a certain sense it I mean, was even marx talked about that yeah it was that, like capitalism is necessary to get you like through the whole industrial revolution and towards some sort of a utopia right yeah and so like there's something about it that, that is really compelling but it's also like it is kind of funny like it is funny like so like the the only reason i the reason i know a lot about this now is um it's always had a passing interest in Jeanette records um and there have been all those compilations that have been published by the wayne county historical society mm-hmm. um but the indian the indiana historical society it has a current exhibit up about them which i consulted on because i'm from richmond which is funny oh interesting um and i didn't there was some minor stuff about it in chicago i think at the cultural center last time i was there oh that makes sense they had they had a whole thing on um jazz and black men businesses and stuff yeah time period um and i think there was a brief mention of Jeanette records yeah it makes sense i mean like there was you know there was that there was that time before before like the music industry got wise to the fact that like you know anyone can make music for some you know what I mean like and, yeah just a few years later they came out with Elvis they were like we can steal this music <laughs> <laughs> right 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 <laughs> yeah dear lord <laughs> uh but uh. Yeah, no, it is it is interesting, but that's how I learned about the clan records. I actually didn't know about the clan records when I was going growing what up. What type Richmond. of music is that? Man, it's mostly like <laughs> speech. I mean, a lot of it is like oh, okay. it's like uh, you know, it's like a, it's, it's um, it's like the record equivalent of a spam email. You know what I mean? Like it's like okay. a, it's like a promotional record. So it's like, I mean, I, I don't remember exactly what they're playing on there. It's probably Wagner or some shit, but like. Yeah, it's like some more catchy music than like some guy talking about white pride, you know, like it. Oh, okay. But like in they weren't like writing originals about. No, no, no. Okay. Not that I remember. I but I also like. I mean, it has to exist, right? The... Yeah. No. There, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely there. I I can look this up. This might be something to bring up later, like a, a different episode. Like I'll find the the specifics because because I know that... need to bring attention. To... <laughs> no, but I mean, it might be it might be like a little curio, like just to be yeah. like, oh, here's what was actually on these records. Uh, I'm yeah. not gonna listen to him, but it might be fun to it might be fun to like find the track list just to like see yeah, what's yeah. going on. Uh, I don't know, pirate it if anybody does listen yeah, to it. Like, sure. don't uh, don't give any money to those estates. Oh fuck no, no, oh, god <laughs> no, no. I'm just gonna go look at. I'm gonna uh, ask my friend who's a historian at the historical society. Yeah. Um. But uh. But yeah, so like. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there is something about like. Yeah, Richard, like, and also I think it has to do with, like, okay, this is, like, I, I was thinking about this earlier, um, earlier in this conversation, the train lines. So, like, the yeah. the move to car travel and plane travel uh, drastically changed what happened in the Midwest. Sure. Um, so, we talk about flyover country, or, like, or like that, that concept is thrown around, um, which I disagree with because it's a flippant stupid it's a stupid way to look at life um any- yeah i mean i see the point though like i see it too but especially I- since i lived on the west coast for a while and i know i've got a lot of friends and family on the east coast too like yeah. they're if you don't know people in the midwest especially states like iowa or indiana or like southern illinois yeah there's you can go your whole life and never go there i get that yeah yeah but i think that the uh, the the bipolar or bicoastal cultural centricity um, is a fairly artificial thing that is that has emerged since the since the decimation of the of like passenger trains. So sure. so like when you look at jazz history, for example. You know, when people talk about jazz history, it's like, um, it's like New York, Chicago, and Kansas City. You're yeah. like, why the fuck Kansas City? What the fuck? And what you realize is actually, it was like, that's where the trains went through. Sure. And that was one of the biggest cities that trains went through for a long time. And, and these guys were taking trains, so they were stopping 
And there were also, like, back in the, especially post, like, just post-New Deal, like, FDR, like, America, Mm -hmm. um, post-war, there were so many uh, grants and federal funds basically just funding cultural programs in rural America. Sure. Um, There's also, like, the concept of a city functioning as a, a regional hub. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, but, if you... I, I feel like that's why there's, you know, there's New Orleans, there's Kansas City, there's Memphis, yeah. there's Nashville. Um, all these places serve as musical hubs. Uh, and I don't know if they would now, because now you would just... Not you know, naturally. If you, up, if you grew up in a small town outside of Kansas City and you wanted to make it big, you'd just fly to New York or L.A. Right. But back then, you weren't flying anywhere. Yeah. So even if your long-term goal was to make it up to Chicago, you were going to try to make it big in Kansas City first. Right, exactly. And and there's also, I mean, there's something you said about, like, regionalism as a, as a driving force um, in American culture earlier on, mm-hmm. where, you know, and this is something, like, I sometimes dream about this, and I know that it's short-sighted and it's stupid, but... Tell me your short-sighted dreams, Rob. Um, you know, like, and maybe this could be accomplished if I just like knew the right radio stations. But th- there's a part of me that would be like really excited, like if I lived in like a, a like I, I sometimes like have some maybe misplaced nostalgia for a pre-clear channel era of American yeah. radio, for example, where what I would listen to. And like, say, just driving from Indianapolis to Chicago, for example, um, like what I would what I would tune into would be like I would hear wildly different music. Yeah, example. I think that goes for all of our culture, right? Like, right. There's definitely still regionalism. Like every region has its own flavor, especially the major cities in that region. Yeah. But it's the internet and entertainment in general. Just being able to tune into, you know any news station and not just your local news yeah and it's still so but and also like i mean it it also i mean there is a very real stranglehold on media Mm -hmm. in cities i mean so like clear channel is one example so like clear channel owns like i feel like upwards of 90 percent of of high-powered broadcast stations in the country Mm -hmm. so they dictate what gets played so like radio stations that are being broadcast from individual cities are actually really a national platform it's not it's not right. individualized from city to city. Um and yeah, then I, I think when I say like cities have their own region like hold on to their regional culture more. Yeah. It's more because it's just it was a stronger culture to begin with. Right. A lot of the times. Yeah, yeah. Um so like you're gonna get that like pride involved in it too, with yeah. shit like Chicago style hot hot dogs or oh in New York we say online instead of inline and whatever yeah, which is wrong like. sure yeah but however like minuscule or however big that cultural difference is it seems to hold on in cities longer yeah oh yeah totally and it, it holds on via like person, or I guess maybe person the concept transition. of identity like the city having an identity versus a place like richmond where we grew up having its own identity yeah i mean yeah and it holds on via, i mean like all, the identity holds on like we have person to person transmission Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess, I guess what I like the, the fantasy part of it is that I, I feel like the, the media used to reflect that to a greater degree. Sure. Now the media does not like, I mean, in terms of, I, I don't want to get into this like space where I'm talking like Trump or something, but like now, like radio media, for example, unless you're on like a local station, like doesn't reflect region at all. Like what, what's going to change is going to be like the DJ. It's not going to yeah. be the rotation of music. Um, the ads. The ads, yeah, exactly. Which, by the way, it's very funny when I hear your dad um, on the radio when I go back to business. Oh, yeah, dude, it's so fun. <laughs> He's good at it. <laughs> He's really good at it. And he writes those in the parking lot before he goes in. I'm like, sure because it sounds very casual yeah. and natural, and that's why he's good at it. Some of the other, some of the other local business owners, they sound like very scripted, and yeah, he, your dad sounds like he's just having a conversation. Yeah, he's like, and it's always like it's yeah, his his ad writing is so funny. Sometimes yeah. he will, sometimes he will like text me and my brothers or like call us about it, and it's so fun. When he's working it on it, almost one. sounds like a kind of rambly voicemail. Yeah, exactly. 
which <laughs> so there was a there was a time when uh when I was living at home, I think this was like I mean very freshly it was like before I moved to Austin, I was living I was living at I was living in Richmond and and uh my dad was just talk I like walked into the house and, and my dad was just talking. Like, you know, just like mm-hmm. And then he stopped, and, and I was like, "Oh, what are you up to?" And he's like, "I just sent in a text to Andrew," and he'd been talking for like four solid minutes. Wait, with one of those voice text things. Yeah. <laughs> so he just sent Andrew like this wall of text, but he was also doing like he was doing like really hilarious shit where he's like, "Oh, hey, so I was like thinking about like, why don't you, why don't we see each other like Saturday?" And then, like, you know, we'll do these two things. And then, oh, wait, actually, Saturday isn't going to work for me. And then, like, so he's, like, you know, <laughs> this whole thing where it's just, like, very stream of consciousness and he's editing himself. But he's not yeah. editing the text, mind you. Right, like, right. He's just, he's just working it out in real time. Yeah. <laughs> that was just, it was, like, one of the funniest things, like, I had ever seen. <laughs> it's, like, like yeah, my dad figured out the internet. Like, that is yeah. <laughs> fucking incredible. Um, and he used to do that to me too. Like when I moved out of the house, like he was doing that shit to me. Like he would just send me these big walls of text. And I was just like, what is he doing right now? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, would, I mean, honestly, I used to read them aloud, like, uh, mm-hmm. like to just get through it. I'd be like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, you know, <laughs> like one of those yeah, yeah, things. Yeah. You need it for the pacing and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, like he's—I mean, he's also just like so funny in general. Yeah, that uh, that him via text, like I mean, when he's actually texting, like I can tell when he's actually typing it in, and it's like right. he's just a normal ass dude as far as that goes. But then, like but when, when, he, has, when he gets when he weird, voice yeah, to text, it's, yeah. yeah, it's good. Like, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um. But yeah, I've definitely been on like I've been definitely been on like late night calls with him where he's like he's like testing some ideas and you know it's for the ads. Yeah, exactly. And 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 so it's been interesting to see his evolution because like you know, I mean he's in Richmond, which like Richmond is a pretty like conservative town. Yeah, and uh, you know his like as far as he goes. Like his audio, like he could say, like so in terms of the national like view of things, or like or like a more enlightened view of social issues, like you know he has a pretty safe audience. Like he could say whatever the hell he wants, and it's not gonna like cause controversy. You know what I mean? Sure. But it has been really interesting to see him like develop as far as that goes. Like even he has like independent of external forces has like changed the way he like writes commercials uh, mm-hmm. which i think is like really interesting like I, there there are certain commercials i look back on from like 10 years ago i was like it's a little rough man but like also i mean they were funny and they they got the job done but it was also just like there's something about that like uh that i that i really admire about him where he's just well, like, like what like what's an example of something he might have said that uh, was rough? i mean i don't know i don't, I don't throw without head. throwing him under the bus yeah that's the thing it's like any one of these like Okay, actually, I'll tell you the one that I think is, like, legitimately funny and, like, should be funny to people who aren't overly sensitive. Uh, uh, but he was, like, I think he had a commercial. It was, like, um, what? I'm trying. Sorry, it's going to take me a second to realize, like, what he did with the, the acronyms because it was really fucking clever. Okay. Uh I think so. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, he was like, "Oh, I've been hearing a lot about it, the fact that like uh, a lot of businesses are trying to be BLTG friendly, and uh, you know, somebody asked me about that, and I was like, well, that just sounds like a sandwich. Uh, come to Jiffy Loop. <laughs> That's the." <laughs> It is like it's so good. Like it's like a yeah, really good joke that like actually would succeed. Like it's like one of those things 
that would totally su- succeed on like in like New York or LA. And, yeah, maybe. And, I don't know. Well, well, but in the sense that like it's a pretty smart joke. Like in terms of just like him playing with the letter order. Sure, sure. Like it was a smart joke. But it was like it would not play well with like angry Midwesterners. You sure. know what I mean? Like like in terms of like Indianapolis. Like it would not have played well in Indianapolis, but it might have played well with like a like a fucking like audience who's like dealt with it. I feel like it could have done really well if like on like a Mike Judge level of comedy. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where it's yeah, like yeah. it's got this meta level to it that like, no, the joke is that the joke is dumb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I mean, and that's a lot of what he does uh, as right. far as comedy goes. And so, like, it, like to me, that that like that commercial in particular was like really, really good. Like, it was like he had figured out a thing. Like, like uh, you know, he didn't really have a lot of like experience with, but like, <laughs> like just like you know, yeah, like it, I, it seems like he's self aware. Like that, the joke for his ads is that it sounds like a rambling voicemail. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Like he's coming up with it and like it's kind of half thought out and it's kind of just saying stuff in the ads like, well, anyway, yeah. <laughs> come on down and uh, <laughs> we hope to see you soon. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah, no. And yeah, he's always been good about that kind of stuff. Like he's, yeah, he's one of those guys. I mean, I was just talking about him earlier um, with my friend and, and, you know, I mean, there, there's something about like, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time on the East Coast, especially. I haven't spent a ton of time on the West Coast. Um, but, you know, I, I found myself, like, especially as a composer, I found myself in, like, these very privileged rooms, I guess I'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, where, like, you know, I'm hanging out with, like, Steve Reich or, like, so, you know, like, like people are, like, were my heroes as a child. And, and I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Or, uh, Steve Reich is, like, still, like, one of my sure. favorite composers of all time. Um, and asking him a question he actually got excited about is probably one of my what I consider one of my. Oh, that's questions. the best. Oh, dude, it was so tight. I'll tell you that question in a second. Uh, but uh, you know, th- there's something about like Midwestern dads, and I've talked to you know we're gonna have Ryan on as a guest at some point, but like yeah. So so Ryan and I used to talk about this a lot in our early twenties about our dads holding court. Mm-hmm. And holding court, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, I mean, I think that, like, I think that we maybe were both, I mean, obviously, like, enamored with our fathers, but also just, like, um, we were maybe overemphasizing the agency of, of our fathers in particular, but also just the, the idea that, like, you just, like, hang out and tell stories and talk to anyone for, yeah. for, for, x number of times like it's like no limit on time you just like talk to someone right like um it's and, weird my um going to my dad's shop that that generation so different than ours and how they work and how they interact with each other interesting Tell me i feel it. like like if i go to if i go so when i'm back in town i usually do some work at my dad's shop and i'll right. be down there for like a couple full work days yeah, yeah. and just a cast of characters comes in and out throughout the day like a sitcom right like we like i feel like our generation might watch a sitcom and be like yeah that's not how a real world works like your friends don't just stop by for a but funny they conversation do. and then leave but they totally do and it's funny it's partially infuriating because that ge- in generation talks about how like lazy we are and we don't know how to do a full day's work yeah when literally guys <laughs> that work for like the power company and are on the clock will stop by my dad's shop <laughs> And talk for two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's like their work day. They'll like do that and then go get lunch. Yeah. And then I assume maybe do some work or maybe stop by some other place that they go. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's all like while they're on the clock, they're just like checking in on their like, you know, muscle car that my dad's rebuilding for them. Right. Like all their personal projects get done during their workday. Yeah. <laughs> and that makes sense because that's why they have time to go home and watch TV for like four hours before, right. you know, like where we're like, wait, how are old people watching like every sports game on television? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, there's something about that. I was, I was just talking about this, uh, the TV thing today, actually. Like, 
Um, so I like, I mean, this is kind of spinning off into a different thing, but, but, uh, so I get told, I've gotten told historically by a lot of members of my family that I remind them of my grandfather. Okay. Uh, who I'm named after. So, so his name is, I'm Robert Steven. His name was Robert Eugene. Um, apparently a good dude. And I've seen his workshop. Tinker okay. for sure. Like we, we yeah. clearly would have gotten along. Um, did you know him at all? No, he died way before I was born. Um, okay. Because I mean, so this is this is this is the prickly part where it's just like everybody tells me I like I remind them of him. This motherfucker died at like forty seven from cardiac arrest. Ooh. So like, so it's like so part of me is like, in what ways do I remind you? Of yeah, this yeah. Like, <laughs> need to know, like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you know I am different. Like you know I have actually had some pretty frank conversations with my dad about like i mean just you know just because of genetics basically it's like oh sure. i remind you of your dad like that's not great because that dude died real early sure uh you're not gonna die like my dad is is pretty healthy and has been health conscious for a long time i mean he's not mm-hmm. like not a health nut he's not a physics or he's not a, not a fitness nut but like he's been healthy you know he goes to the doctor regularly like he knows yeah. he knows himself um he looks good for his age yeah looks yeah looks fine um and then like my dad smokes like a chimney still and he almost exclusively eats like oreos <laughs> at least he's vegan you know yeah no he's definitely not <laughs> <I'm> just kidding <laughs> he'll eat like donuts and oreos for the entire first like 12 hours of the day and black coffee and cigarettes and then he gets home and for dinner he'll eat like a ham and cheese sandwich and potato chips oh, no. Oh, no. and <laughs> he's how old like, is your dad by the way i don't see, know he's born in 62 okay so he's he's, so he's 40, 58 50, okay yeah, yeah 58 now yeah okay so he's 58 he eats like that and he smokes like a chimney and he's like super fit like physically yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like to look at him you'd be like dang that guy just looks like he could run a marathon or something right right and he but, may be that way like, i mean like i've had conversations with guys like so there is there is an infuriating thing about uh, about genetics, sure. Where, uh, like, so th- there's another guy that that actually reminds me of your dad, physique wise. That I actually have a little insight into his doctor experience. Um, so Martin, uh, who is the manager at the Richmond Jiffy Lube, uh, he's been there okay. for ten years. He's one of those guys, like, yeah, same kind of thing. Smokes like a chimney, uh, mm-hmm. but rail fit, like, not rail fit, like, looks good. Like looks fucking yeah. Like I'm skinnier than my dad. Yeah, and like, he's like muscle toned. Like he's, right. Yeah, he looks yeah. good. Like that's what I'm saying. Right. Like like this guy. <laughs> this guy look like Martin looks good. Like it's not like uh, um, it's not like he's he's like scarily skinny. He looks good. And like I was talking to him about it because like, you know, I mean, like when I was working there, I was I was pudgier or like I. But I, I weighed a little less, but I was, I was a lot less active too. So like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know for me, like weight gain and loss is about trajectory not about actual mass, uh, to a certain extent sure, where sure. it's like at that point in my life, I was less healthy. I weighed less than I do now, but now I'm more healthy because I'm on a downward trajectory. Uh, if that, yeah, makes that sense. makes sense. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so at the time I was asking you, is you know, I'm just like, you know, I was like, oh, how you doing? Like, he's like, oh, I went to the doctor. He's like, how do you say? He's like, it's like, uh, the doctor was like, how long have you been running? And he's like, I don't. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I'm just like, how the <laughs> fuck? Like, <laughs> right. like, you know what I mean? Like, this motherfucker, like, this motherfucker smokes like two packs of Marble Lights a day. Like, you know, um, and maybe not anymore. I, like, you know, this has been a few years. I don't want to throw this guy under the bus. Uh, he's sure, also, sure. he's also a really great guy. He taught me a lot. Um, when I was working with him, he taught me a lot about management. Oh fuck! Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other episode about like me being a dumb young manager. I actually think that would be really fun. Uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> the the, uh, the uh, but yeah, he was yeah like he's like he's fit as a racehorse apparently. Like that's what keeps happening with my dad too. He went into we're like okay, he looks good, but his heart has to be a mess and like his lungs. Mm-hmm. And he went in for like a heart and lung scan a few years ago, and he got like a clean bill of health. Yeah, 
But I have noticed recently on he is slowing down a bit with his lungs. Like no if he's shit. walking up the hill from his barn to the house, he gets a little winded. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind yeah, of shit you gotta like. Yeah. Well, him and my grandfather did work in a um in a factory that dealt with beryllium. No shit. Which is like one of the most carcinogenic things on the planet. Yeah. And my cool grandfather died from oh, lung God. cancer. Wait, do you think he has cancer or do you just think? I don't know. Well, so what scares me is what happened with my grandfather is he didn't have cancer and he had a little tiny spot in his lung that they like scanned every year to keep an eye on, you know? Yeah, yeah. That wasn't cancer. They didn't do a biopsy on it or anything. It was just like a scar. Right, right. And then um, in between two, like, I can't remember if they're six month or 12 month scans, it grew went from nothing to Stage the four. size of a softball in his lungs. Yeah, yeah. And he was dead like nine months after that. Right, right. And it, they're, you know, they don't know for sure, but like one of the kind of theories about it was that being exposed to that beryllium all those years made it so that once he got cancer, it just grew like crazy. Yeah. Which I wish I knew how all so, that worked. Like, yeah, I mean, how you'd be a millionaire if you did yeah. and a hero. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that kind of stuff worries me about my dad that maybe he'll be going like super strong. Um, or what appears to be super strong, and then just all of a sudden have like just all like yeah, problems. just like just yeah. fall off. Yeah, I mean, just all hit him at once. Yeah, yeah. I think about that with my father too. I mean, you know, I mean, thankfully, uh, my dad is taking very good care of himself. I, you know, but at the same time, it's sort of just like I mean, we're not coming from great stock. The Midwest is scary too. There's like There's all just the like all this um, crazy shit. Yeah, with them. <laughs> All the petro petrochemicals in the farms are mm -hmm. all around where we grew up, and there's yeah. all sorts of shit going on, and people are filing lawsuits and stuff against <laughs> them. And yeah, it's gnarly, man. Like it's it's like this whole like yeah, it's I mean like that factory they worked in. I guess my grandma looked into it, and like something like ninety percent of the people that used to work there are dead. Holy and shit! I didn't of, know this. Like, okay, of like cancer, and it wasn't in it. What the factory wasn't in Richmond. Okay. They were traveling Where to do maintenance it? work there. Okay. It might have been in Texas. I can't remember exactly. They used to travel all over the world to do uh, maintenance. Yeah, you, uh, your dad and your grandpa? Yeah, which is weird. It's my mom's dad and my dad. Oh, weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But your That's mom... Okay, thing. so so we need to talk about this. Your mom's mom is the matriarch of your family. Well, of that side, I guess. Of the one that, that like led to a really good discussion with Miranda. Oh, that would be my Miranda's on my dad's side. No shit. Yeah, yeah. So your dad's mom is is a matriarch as well. Yeah, she's they're both incredible and very different ladies, both my grandmas. Okay. Um but yeah, Miranda it my aunt look, my aunt Chris is my dad's sister. Okay. So yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Uh so I don't remember the conversation you're talking about. Oh, dude, it's so it's so good. I, I'll 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 recount it just a little bit, just just for context. Not, I think this could actually just be a whole other conversation. We've had sixteen that we haven't finished. Yeah, so yeah, far, no, so. it's it's good. Uh, but uh, the Miranda, like last time you, me, and Miranda were hanging out, which is actually pretty rare for the three of us to be in a situation. Yeah. Uh, the, it was Miranda was interrogating you about how you kept your family obligations so loose. Oh, and you yeah. were just like, <laughs> if you just make it very clear that if they fuck with you, you're never going to show up again, it's good. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like that, I mean, that's a very harsh way to put it. That's not exactly what you said, but it was like, that was the thrust of the argument. So that side of my family, specifically from my grandmother, there's a lot of like pressure. Uh huh to show up to like family birthday parties and stuff right, like that. Right, right, right. And there's this silly idea of like if you're younger, um, you know, the the great uncles and these guys can just be spouting off about whatever they want and you're just your job's to like not say anything. Right. So I just I can't do it anymore. Like, right, right. You know, like yeah, yeah. I it's not they're my family and I, I'll always have love for them and everything. Especially my grandmother. That's unconditional yeah yeah but like i can't just have this guilt hanging over my head for not showing up for 
Easter to not fly across the country to, have right. to celebrate Easter. Yeah, yeah, it's just not it's not tenable. <laughs> yeah, uh, but the, and... but the, but the, your strategy was like hysterical. Like like the way you framed your strategy was. I got was my freedom so by. Funny. I got my freedom by going to college in Chicago and being very very poor. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was out of necessity. To... I mean, like, I know you. Yeah, like, yeah. I know that this I wasn't couldn't... like a malicious thing. But it turned into this discovery that was great. Like, I, <laughs> <laughs> I really did. Like, I couldn't afford to go home, even though Chicago is only six hours away. I, I didn't go back to Richmond for like, I think it was probably a year, yeah, or maybe even a year and a half at uh, one yeah, point. I think that that tracks. Yeah, yeah. And then I, then when I started going back every now and then, it was like, oh, great, Jordan's here. Yeah. So now just anytime I show up, it's great. Right. And my grandmother will even like reschedule parties based on when I'm going to be in town. That's smart. They do a monthly party. Oh my God. Which is why Miranda's so upset about it. Like, how do you get out of doing these? Like, I. (laughs) She's only an hour away. It's fucked. Yeah, <laughs> makes so much yeah, sense. The trick, as as it is with many things in life, the trick is to care less. Yeah, that's very funny. Um, have you? Do you know much about like Miranda and my brother being friends? Which brother, Brandon? Brandon? No. Okay. I mean, I know they all hung out together in high school a lot. Yeah, yeah. And my sister. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, Miranda and Brandon were, like, best friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and still, I think, are, to a certain extent. Like, uh, like I, you know, I don't, I don't have any insight into how frequently they talk, but I do know that one time Miranda got her car stuck in the, the Middle Fork Reservoir, like that ditch yeah. there, and she called Brandon... <laughs> And so he like walked out like he was like, I think 16 at the time, <laughs> like walked yeah. out from our house on Sherry Way and just walked over to see what was happening. <laughs> and like, I, I don't know, I assume provide comfort. Like, <laughs> I think my dad ended up having to actually uh, yeah. reconcile. Oh, yeah, for situation. sure. No, I, I know that. I, I was just like, but yeah, it's yeah. just like this whole funny fucking thing where it's just like, oh, shit. She did the dumbest stuff with a car that you could possibly do. Yeah, but she is. She drove it down Roosevelt. She Hill is. One time. She is truly one of the funniest people I've ever met. Like I. Oh yeah. Like it is, like like criminal how funny she is sometimes. Like yeah. and like and she's a wait like oh that dude the she's with her right now is great. I hope that that makes the that goes the length like. Oh Neil. Yeah. yeah. No, he yeah, seems he's a cool guy. He seems great. Like um. I met him a few times. Like I don't, I don't know what his like professional life is like, but his art is great. Yeah, i uh, I like his art quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. He does these uh, tulips, like an abstract tulip. Yeah, and he also does it like yeah, like what I like about his art is that he does these like pa- like it's always like a pattern based thing. Like yeah, the tulips. He's very consistent. Like he's building a language around exactly. His art, which yeah, a lot of people which don't understand. Yeah, which I I love that about it. It's like I met him the first time. It was like at his art show. I didn't even realize it was his art show. It was just at Square Cat. Um, okay. Which is like you know where you and I saw each other for the first time after five mm-hmm. years, and and like so. Uh, yeah, no, like he was having the show, and I was like admiring the shit, and then I like ran into Miranda. <laughs> I was like what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, it was like one of those scenarios. It was like, yeah. I was clearly an idiot, you know, like in a certain sense, like, she's like, Oh, what are you? And she's like, this is, I mean, I, you know, like, <laughs> I his like, art's a, <laughs> his art's a funny spot for our family. <laughs> really? Well, cause like, you know, people don't really understand abstract art. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say a vast majority of people don't, but especially kind of, you know, older Midwesterners, you can't expect them to sure have that background or like understand exactly. This sounds so pretentious, but to like understand how to look at it and interpret or it. Or like, yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, so I, when I've Miranda gotten, started I've gotten, dating him, yeah, when Miranda started dating him, there was like 
a few people in my family, like individually, like my grandmother, my aunt, my dad, all were like in separate occasions be like, so Neil's art, is it good? Because they, <laughs> they like know that I like that kind of uh, art. <laughs> that's so interesting. Yeah. Holy and shit. And they like, they don't know how to determine whether it's, uh, oh my God, kind of good or not. I think that's the right term to talk about. Oh my God. Whether it's good or bad. No, but... it's, no, it's, no, 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 it's great though. Yeah. Uh, like that in a certain sense is very endearing. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's, uh, I mean, I would assume it's like, you know, like, so Brandon has been dating Annie for, I don't know, six years, and and she's a part of our family at this point. But I think it would be the same thing if, like, Andrew started dating, like, a, a musician. <laughs> like, sure. a, like and, and... Yeah, they'd ask you. Yeah, and they, they, <laughs> like, like, a really weird musician, <laughs> which might be a good fit for Andrew. I, I don't really know. Yeah. Uh, but, like... <laughs> but if there was, like... If there was a spat where, like, Andrew was dating an avant-garde musician and they would ask me if their shit was good. <laughs> like that sounds that would be really fun. I would totally weigh in. 